Um, we had the opportunity yesterday to spend five hours with probably a couple of hundred pastors and leaders in the area, just uh, in a round table of discussion, of prayer, of perspective on the revival that is emerging in our, in our country right now. And Lou Ingalls was there, and I don't know if you've ever heard him share, he's the man that brought together the call in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Washington. He's just a major warrior in intercession. You ever been around somebody who prays? And they pray with such declaration and authority, and they know they've heard from the Lord, and they're calling out the Lord's purposes on the earth, and your heart just sort of burns. It was, it was like that. Uh, for five hours. It was, it was actually pretty overwhelming. But one of the things they talked about was, how many of you have heard about the revival going on at Asbury College? So, it's, and then it started to spread to other college campuses. Young people are just getting, it's particularly Generation Z right now, it seems to be X that it's really impacting. And uh, Lori found something online that I just really clarified some things for me. Uh, people who study the history of revivals, I, I've, I've read a few things, and one thing is very consistent. Different revivals have different seasons and times and uh, messages at times, but there's one consistent message that's been a part of every historic revival, according to people who study these things, and that, that was the simple message of Jesus is Lord. If you want a personal revival, don't just say it, but begin to believe it. Begin to, I, I, I felt so inadequate trying to sing that song, but I give it all, give it all, give it all to you, Lord. That is the heart of making Jesus Lord. And so a man named Mike Kola took his uh, adolescent kids to Asbury to see what was going on. And as they were driving home, he asked them, so, you know, what was it about that service? Because there were salvations, and there was healing, and there was deliverance, and there was the power of God just moving mightily, and people worshiping, and on their faces for hours even. And so he said, what, you know, what was it? And his son said, well, Dad, uh, it was about Jesus. It was just about him. Churches often will do something about Jesus and something else. Jesus and something good. Jesus and politics. Jesus and social justice. Jesus and something else, because we have to sort of prop up or have an identity or have a vision instead of actually just making it about Jesus. And then he, the son simplified and said, Dad, the service was just about Jesus. That's the heart of revival. That's the revival that's sweeping our country right now. Um, at the conference, they gave us hooded sweatshirts, black ones, because they want us to be like spiritual ninjas. And, and on the shirts, uh, Robert's actually wearing it. Would you stand up for a second? This is embarrassing. Lori and I were going to wear ours. You see what it says? I hear the sound of revival. So there's, we've talked about it. Miko talked about the wave coming. But you know what they were, one thing they said about hearing the sound of revival? You can hear it, you can see it, Asbury's happening, other things are happening. There's one thing you have to do, you've got to prepare. 
You prepare your heart. You prepare your ears. You prepare yourself in worship. You prepare an altar on your heart of just surrender of God. I just want to give it all. I want to submit everything. I want you to come and take whatever you want, get rid of whatever you want. That is the heart of the preparation of people that are getting ready for a mighty move of God in their lives personally. Is that right? So for me, you know, I shared a message a few weeks ago about the Lord shaking everything that can be shaken. And I'm not afraid of it anymore because the kingdom of heaven is never shaken. So the things that are of God in your life, they're going to continue on. They're going to grow. They're going to prosper. But the things that aren't from him, break them off, shake them off. So for me, this morning is about shake me, break me, and make me. And I've been afraid of being wrong. I've been afraid of making mistakes. I've been afraid of so many things that I haven't wanted to be found at fault. But the reality is, as Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. A turning away from self-sufficiency, a turning away from our head trips and our ego trips and our vanity, and a turning of our hearts to the kingdom of God the things darn I was on fire too and I still am so don't worry about it oh remember fire works so oh oh You know, it's a funny thing when you ask God to shake you. Guess what he does? Yeah. And then you can think, okay, but you're good. So you're only revealing things because you have something better, God. And so these last few weeks have just been an amazing journey. The last time I shared, I talked about an understanding of repentance that has gone deeper than it's ever been in my life. And it was because of Lori during that service where it's like, okay, God, come and shake and you, I'll just do the testimony real quick. You remember during that service, Lori realized, uh-oh, the Lord's going to you know, want me. He's going to shake me and try to break off of reading for comfort. Because since she was a little girl, little girl, she would go to family gatherings and hide in a book. So she didn't have to put up with what was happening and the intense emotions. And so she would run to books for comfort. And then she got convicted and was like, oh, no, is God going to take away my reading and, you know, I don't know about you, but when the Lord puts his finger on something that's precious to you, that's scary, right? And she's like, okay, well, if I have to fast, if I have to use will, you know, whatever you need, God, I'm willing to give you reading. And, and I, I understand all of that drama. But at Wednesday night prayer, she was just in the room and, and that was going through her mind, do I have to give up reading? And then the Lord said that I am the God of all comfort. So instead of going to reading for comfort, you can come to me. Turn from trying to have reading do something for you that I can actually do the real thing. And by the way, no shame, no humiliation, no, oh, I've got 40-day fast of reading. You know, none of that. Just like, oh, I can read, but I don't have to do it for comfort that I can find from God, right? And for me, that was so, so powerful that I've been thinking about it ever since. And I, our anchor verse today is Acts 3.19. This is brand new, fresh for me. It says, therefore, 
repent and return so that your sins may be washed away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus is still the central issue, will always be eternally in all of our lives. I, uh, I so appreciated Miko's message a couple weeks ago um, where he said, beholding Jesus. How many of you thought of Jesus as a doorway to the Father? How many of you thought of Jesus as a bridge, getting you from your sin to the kingdom of God? Jesus is so much more than that. I've, uh, I, I really, ha- I've had songs just exploding inside of me. It's amazing. I wish I was a better singer. But this, one of the old Andre Crouch songs came back during this season as I'm thinking about repenting. And it's, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer to abortion. Jesus is the answer to same-sex attraction. Jesus is the answer to every individual and every person we're ever going to meet. They don't need a different message. They don't need psychology. They don't need to be convinced. They just need Jesus. And let Jesus be in charge of what he's going to convict in their lives because you suck at convicting people of their sin. I'm sorry. You're terrible at it. And so am I. Because we confront people in their sin, and if there is a nugget of judgment, resentment, anger, disgust, people will pick it up, and they'll know it's not safe to listen to your words, because your words have the enemy spinning accusation against them. A lot of people don't want to come to church because they feel ashamed instead of freed and loved and honored and given a message that there's freedom in this house. There's forgiveness in the house. And Jesus is the central message of that. From the beginning of his ministry, it's, again, this is, I've shared it before, but I'm obsessing on it in such a beautiful way and a practical way in my life personally. What was Jesus' primary ministry when he started his public ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wants the kingdom of heaven existing and abiding in you and abiding on earth, not waiting to go to heaven, but bringing heaven right here, right now in all of us. And by the way, not just the uh, Lou Ingalls and the anointed few and the mighty warriors. I don't know why in the world the American church in particular has been so disempowering to the people of God instead of equipping and empowering us all. You're supposed to exceed the anointings that other people have uh, allowed God to grow in their life because he's got a unique one just for you. And so... um, I'm trying to not get into my head about this, but he, God gave me my head. He gave me my heart, and I'm asking him to give, him the, give me the desires of my heart, and he gave me will, a choice that I get to make continually. So the Acts 3.19 verse, it says, repent and return. In the New Testament, there are several connotations 
healthy connotations uh, about that. And those two words are the words for repent in um, the Greek. One is metanoiu, and meta means to change place or condition, and noiu, I love this, listen, noiu means to exercise the mind, to think, to comprehend. So you're changing your position, you're changing the place that you're in, and so you're also, you're, you're um, changing the condition of your heart. And that's an aspect of repentance that is genuine. That, that's connected more to the idea, how many of you know there's godly sorrow? Um, Thomas Akempis, the imitation of Christ, becoming more like Christ, he said a powerful thing. I would rather know the feeling of contrition than the definition of the word. When you begin to see your sin from God's perspective, then you can have godly sorrow. Oh, God, I was choosing garbage. I was returning to my vomit. I did it again. God. And the enemy then in that moment wants to come and spin it into condemnation. He wants to bring in shame and have you try to defend yourself and avoid the reality of it. Ho! Oh. 2 Corinthians 7.10, if you're going to embrace repenting, if you're going to let God shake your life and break you from self-reliance and realize how powerless you are on your own and how powerful you are in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 7.10 has to be built into your heart. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So metanoia in a religious context is negative. If all you do is feel bad that you're a sinner, all you do is feel bad that you don't walk in God's ways, that you've chosen a lesser path, if all you do is compare yourself to other people, that's not even half of the job. That's letting the enemy swim around inside of you in condemnation. And we know in Jesus there's what? No condemnation. So he doesn't want that sense of self-pity or that regret that has no hope in it. So it's amazing how many times when I have an area exposed in my life, it's more a source of embarrassment or shame or regret or disappointment or sense of failure. That's not the repentance God is calling out in our lives. But the most powerful thing about this for me, the other half of that word is a change of what you comprehend, what you think. When you need to change, Lori felt bad because of the, I'm running to books for comfort. And there there was shame. And even some, you know, it was hard for her. But when God changed the way she thought about it, she saw it, oh, sweetie, you don't have to stop reading. Just don't read, don't expect from books to give you comfort that I can give you. And guys, the change of heart was instantaneous. It was maintenance-free. It was like, oh, I'll agree with God. That's the turning from what you were doing to the thinking now. I'm going to think the way you think about these things. I, uh, I met with somebody who had gone through a lot of counseling, had gone through a very difficult time. And as part of their counseling, the therapist said an interesting thing. He said, you know, 
There are areas of your life, the ways that you think, the things that you feel, and the things that you do. The things that you do are about your behavior. And you know what you can do? You can choose at any point. Human beings have this uncanny ability. We all have it. To step back momentarily and say, okay, God, what am I thinking about right now? Show me what's on my mind. And when I think about those things, how does it make me feel? And because of what I feel, what do I choose to do? God can easily show you all of that. But if when you begin to think about something and you begin to feel powerless, victimized, less than, humiliated, that is not of God. That's what understanding repentance is. But wait, those negative feelings that have no good outcome, I can be sure that is not from God. So God, how do you want me to think about this? Do you understand? Do you guys actually have hope? If an area gets exposed in your life, you can say, okay, God, I'm going to be brave enough to actually look at this, think about this. I'm going to feel the feels, and I'm going to invite you to come and change. I think the most effective way of bringing about repentance, change, Christ-likeness in all of us is to allow God into our thought process because his thoughts aren't like ours. So we let him come and bring those thoughts. And align. then it's not, oh, no, he showed me how wrong I am and, and how foolish I've been. And blah, 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 now I've got to fix it. No, him showing you how he thinks about it is him fixing it. If he's the Lord of your life. Isn't that amazing? There's so much freedom in that. I, I've been going around the mountain in so many areas in my life. It's, I'm exhausted. I keep taking these trips over and over again, and I have hope. God is now bringing a a, a dependence on him, a recognition of the power only he has in my life to change the way that I think. But that friend of mine who went through counseling, he also said, you know what you can do, though? If you change your behavior, give up drinking. So, you know, get clean and sober for three months. You've, you've decided, I'm going to change that behavior. What happens? Right away, your thinking about those areas begins to change because you've removed a behavior that has opened the door to ungodly beliefs and to confusion and into things that aren't of God, right? So you can change a behavior. And by the way, when you change your behavior, what else changes? Your feelings about it. You realize you weren't as dependent upon it, whatever. And by the way, you can change the way you feel about something. I don't know that we have as much power over that one. I think if you've got some really nasty feelings, you got to ask the Lord to show you, okay, Lord, what am I thinking? Where's my thinking off in producing these kinds of feelings? So, and that's meant to know you. Those are the two aspects of it. The positive word for repentance is uh, a peace to a peace to foe, I believe it's pronounced. And that means to come back, to convert, to turn. The uh, metanoia can be a negative thing if it's just religious. Because if, if all you're doing is trying to turn from your sin, turn from your sin, if you have a negative vow, I will not be like my mother, not be like my father, you're only doing half the job, right? You can't prosper from a negative vow. I will not be. What you have to do is turn and go, I want to be this. I want 
whatever the Lord wants in my life. I want to see it the way he sees it. But, you know, people can even do that in a religious way. Okay, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning toward God, but it's only theoretical. They don't let him into their mind. They don't think they can hear from God. So I'm turning to God, uh, but it's the God of the Old Testament, a distant, faraway, unknowable God, which is only going to lead to frustration, right? I mean, if you don't actually turn and embrace his ways and what he would say. And that's why the second word in, in this verse, therefore repent, so metanoia, change the way you think about it, allow yourself to feel the sorrow that's going to cause your heart to want to turn to something better, and then now come back to God. Be, this, this other word, uh, epistropho, God help me with my Greek, um, that is, again, like the turning toward God, wanting to be like him. It's where we get the word conversion in English. It's being converted from knowing, hungering, uh, a slave to sin, and being converted now by the truth of the gospel, by the person of Jesus Christ, to turn your heart toward him. So, um, this is really interesting. You know, Jesus is so consistent in his message. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? And then shortly later, in Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes. You want to know what, how to repent and what life looks like? Look at the life of Jesus. I, I saw a sign on a church this week. It said, Jesus is God's selfie. That's pretty good theology. How do you know a father that you can't see? How do you know a father that's like the wind? How do you know a spirit that's like the wind? Look at the person of Jesus. And how did he declare his kingdom? What did he declare as his values? Isn't it interesting that his primary preaching ministry was repent, and the first four of the Beatitudes are the expression of a true, repentant, healthy heart? So think about it. Blessed are the poor. When you, I'm poor in spirit. God, I'm powerless in my own understanding. God, I, I, I'm sorrowful and, and I'm mourning. So blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. What's the mourning? That's the regret, the sorrow in your heart that doesn't lead to shame but leads to hope for something better. And then what's the next? Be gentle, meekness of heart. So when people are dealing with sin, have you ever seen anyone get aggressive? They get angry at the sin in themselves. They get angry at the sins in others. They go on the attack. I'm going to overcome this sucker, which is you doing it in your own power instead of the meekness of Jesus, you've already given me righteousness. Jesus, I want to be like you. You're my hero. You're the one I'm following after. You have to be humble in heart to inherit the king. Isn't it beautiful? He's describing what New Testament, healthy, life-giving repentance is. And then finally, okay, what's that turning, that final turning of repentance? Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm aching and thirsting for righteousness. To get away from my brokenness, to get away from my self-defeat, to get away from my selfishness, to get away from my complacency. God, I'm just exhausted with myself. I'm so hungry for more of you. That's 
blessed. That's a gift from God. Do you understand? So in his declaration, the very beginning, the first four things he says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand to bless you. And here's how you position your heart to step into it. I'm 64 years old. I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. I've had my defenses up. I've had my sensitive areas. I've had the no-go areas. Some of you have talked to me and seen me get reactive. What the heck? But part of it is I don't feel like I've allowed the Lord to come and convict me to really allow my heart to be broken over the things that his heart are broken over. And I don't know if it's because time is short. I don't know if it's because revival is at hand. I don't care. Repentance is how we prepare our heart to step into the fullness of what he's doing right now in this moment in the kingdom. Amen? So it's like, shake it up, Lord. Break it in me. I mean, how many of you know that a broken and contrite spirit, we feel ashamed there, but that's the sacrifice he's looking for. True brokenness, I'm done with my own strength, but I am right here hungry for your strength, and now I'm confident. When you show me it's my weakness, it's not to shame me, it's to rebuild me. It's to make me like you. So go at it. Whew. It takes courageous hearts. It takes people who are willing to go after the better. So I want to wrap up, but I also want to extend an invitation again. But Isaiah 30, 15 is so beautiful. I believe it talks again about the heart that we all need to cultivate, to maintain, to prepare ourselves, to be ready to step in to the more. And the more is right here. Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus says the Lord our God. Hold it. That's a pretty good start of a verse, isn't it? For thus says the Lord. You know, sometimes we just sort of gloss over that. No, 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 no. He's now taking full credit. This is my perspective. This is my way of thinking. This is my heart toward you. This is me speaking to your spirit, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest. You shall be saved. In turning back toward God, moment by moment, day by day, in your time of need, in your moment of weakness, repentance is a heart attitude that is posture of warfare to overcome every temptation, every challenge. You know what's funny about repentance? Jesus never repented of anything in his entire life. He never had a single regret. He was tempted in every way, but he knew how to turn his heart toward the Father, and in real time, boom, I'm going to do and say what I hear the Father doing and saying. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out of that same place. And I have settled for too little. I have dumbed down the gospel. I have limited my thinking in terms of what God could do in me. Don't limit what he can do in you. Open your heart to where he wants to empower you. Can I get an amen? And so in, repent, in returning, and what? Rest. That speaks to the meekness in the Beatitudes. That speaks to the humility, the humbleness. Lord, I'm going to return and acknowledge I really am powerless, but I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to rely on I'm going to trust like I've never trusted before. I'm going to step out in 
confusing obedience, in radical submission, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence or trust, there are several translations, shall be your strength. In quietness. Man. It's in the quiet place that we hear that still, small voice. And when you hear that still, small voice, he's going to call you. He's going to ask you to do things that won't always make sense. Can I get an amen? Anyone ever had God put something on your heart? Like, what? That's a whole different perspective. But a heart that knows how to turn to him doesn't have to try to figure out how am I going to make it work then. And it's not in my checking account, you know. He's not, every word he speaks to him, to us, he empowers you to succeed in. Amen? Ah. I, I hope I've hit the heart of what is really the core of this message. And it, it, it feels so powerful inside of me. It feels so freeing. And, and I want it to be for you as well. And uh, I guess the best you can do is just get real with the Lord. So let, let me end on this then. I had a dream this week, and it's been a more impacting than maybe any dream I've had in the last several years. I was talking to somebody, and they were talking about witnessing, about sharing their faith. And I listened to them for a moment, and then I said, you know, I understand what you're saying, but you do realize that without prayer, there's going to be no power in everything you do. And the guy's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I said, no, no. Don't just go out there and try to witness to people or get people saved. I, how, how many of you have to deal with the regret of people that you saved instead of the people that Jesus saved? You know, we, we, we don't have the power to convert anybody's heart. And so... Uh, I said it again to the person, and I got stronger in the dream. I was like, wait, no, no. If there isn't prayer, there won't be the power to see salvations. And then he's, he didn't get it again. So the third time, guys, in the dream, I was just electrified. It's like, no, without prayer, there will not be the power for radical salvations. That's it. I don't care the four spiritual laws. I don't care how... You, you hold your mouth. I don't care the words that you, I have relied on strategies. I mean, give me the right card. Give me the right tool. Give me a technique. And, and people's hearts are good. They want to go out and do something good. But if you're doing it in human effort and strength, it's futile because we don't have the power to convert us. But it's his will that people get saved. And so as we pray, we can pray in faith. I have not been in travail for the Salvation of my children and my grandchildren and people in my life. I, I've assumed, well, I, I, I've tried. I've shared the gospel. I've done my job. No, I'm sorry. This, it's, a, it's never going to let up in me now a conviction unless I pray ahead of time. And then what I hear in prayer, I share and I release in faith. And I let the power of the Spirit of God on the words that I've shared. Amen? So even that is repenting of a prayerless life. But I got out of the dream, and I was like, oh, and instead of feeling ashamed, oh, I haven't been praying enough. You're right. God. I, it, I, that wasn't the kind of repentance that I had. It was like, oh, you're right. 
How many of you know, I want to see Holy Spirit-empowered encounters in my lift car and every day and at the supermarket. And I've been, come on, God, let's do it. I want those encounters. And I've been trying to figure out how to do it. And what's his answer? Pray. Did I respond to that? Well, now I have an inspiration. I have a hope. It's like, okay, I've left out the key. So I'm turning. I'm returning back to you, God. I'm going to return, and I'm going to rest, and I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be prayerful in my heart and attitude toward you, and I'm going to ask you to bless the words, the actions, the service, the acts of kindness. Amen? Yeah, that's, that's a good word. So, Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for each person listening. I thank you especially. This is a selfish prayer. You've been going deeper in my heart. I don't know why I'm so hungry. I don't know why I'm so willing. But I really do pray that prayer. Shake me, God. Shake every area of my life that has hindered, hold, held me back, areas of ungodly beliefs where I need the truth to set me free, areas of bitterness where I've held something against someone, I've formed a judgment toward another human being, whatever it is, focus my attention on it, shake it so I can see it, break it so I don't keep relying upon it, to do what it's only done before in producing worldly sorrow. But, Lord, I, I embrace the shaking. I embrace the breaking that you can make me what you want me to be, that you're going to bring your presence and your power. And, Lord, I purpose with all of my heart to spend time in, in your presence in prayer, getting those marching orders, getting that word of, that I can walk in radical obedience as I know I'm walking with you when it doesn't even make sense and I don't see where the resources are, I know they're all in you. So, Father, I just thank you for giving us all a heart of repentance to truly give it all to you and make you Lord of every area of our lives. Help us step into this revival that is not just coming but is actually here. Lord, I don't want to miss out, and I know all I can do is give you my heart and let you come, and I will turn toward you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, so again, if you want to come forward for prayer, I'll just be available, and uh, hopefully uh, in the next few weeks we'll have ministry team members who will be available for prayer during worship. And, uh, and at the end of services, too. So we'll be making announcements about what that's going to look like. So God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And it's still not snowing. Thank you, God. Bless you.